Welcome to the Skeptic's Guide to Emergency Medicine. Meet him, greet him, treat him, and street him. Today's date is June 18th, 2022, and I am your skeptical host, Ken Mill. The title of today's podcast is, Romeo is Bleeding. Does he need a refill? And our guest skeptic is Dr. Casey Parker. He is a rural generalist that includes emergency department work, anesthesia, critical care, and now a full-fledged sonologist. He currently splits his time between Broome, a small rural hospital in the remote Kimberley region of Western Australia, and a large tertiary ED in sunny Perth. Welcome back to the SGM, Casey. G'day, Ken. Thanks for having me back on. It is always a privilege to be on your amazing podcast. It truly is the highlight of my commute to work every week. Oh, you need a better commute to work then. But last time we did the salsa trial and it was hot, hot, hot. Want to remind listeners to the SGEM bottom line from that episode? Yeah, Ken, the salsa trial looked at the treatment of hyponatremia. And what we found was that both rapid intermittent boluses of hypertonic saline and slow continuous infusions of, of saline appeared to be efficacious and there were no real differences in safety with the treatment of hyponatremia. And before we get too far into this podcast, I wanted to point out that you selected the theme music. Now, people may have clued into this because it wasn't from the best musical era, the 1980s, but it was a 1978 song by Tom Waits called Romeo is Bleeding. Why did you choose this Tom Waits song? Ken, I really love Tom Waits. And the reason I think I love Tom is because he's sort of the poet laureate of the downtrodden. You know, he writes about gangsters and prostitutes, homeless people, the brawlers, those that live right on the edge of society. And, you know, these are our folk, Ken. These are the people that we see in the emergency department every single day. Yes, we are there for anyone, for anything, at any time. We are that lighthouse, that light in the house of medicine that is always on. Okay, so you've explained the theme music. Let's get on to a case. Okay, here's the case, Ken. I'd like you to imagine you're working in the emergency department and you receive a call from the advanced care paramedics. They've been at the scene of a stabbing. Apparently, two rival gangs, the Jets and the Sharks, have had a bit of a rumble in the street. The young man has been stabbed in the abdomen. He's lost a lot of blood. The patient is tachycardic at 120 beats per minute, is hypotensive, 80 over 60, and he looks very pale. The paramedics have placed two large bore IV catheters and are planning to bring him to the ED as soon as possible. The paramedic asks you, Doc, we have saline, we also have red cells, and we have this fancy new lyophilized plasma. Should we give our shock patient saline? Plasma, red cells, what should we do? Well, the use of fluids in trauma resuscitation has been studied in a number of trials recently. A lot of observational data has also been collected from the battlefields of Iraq and Afghanistan. And in 2018, the Control of Major Bleeding After Trauma, or COMBAT trial, was published in The Lancet. This was a pragmatic randomized single-center trial done in Denver, Colorado, which looked at the use of plasma in the pre-hospital setting. 
this trial did not show any statistical mortality benefit within 28 days of injury. And our good buddies Justin over at First 10 AM and Salim over at Rebel AM both did excellent reviews of the combat trial. And then the pre-hospital air medical plasma or PAMPER trial was published in the New England Journal of Medicine in the same year, 2018. The goal of this trial was to determine the efficacy and safety of pre-hospital administration of thawed plasma in injured patients who are at risk for hemorrhagic shock. The trial did report pre-hospital administration of plasma was safe and resulted in a lower 30-day mortality. And again, that PAMPER trial, it was covered by our friend Justin at first 10 a.m. and also on the bottom line. So can the traditional teaching in trauma is that we need to replace blood with blood, so give blood products early. We would expect that we should see a benefit if we use blood and plasma instead of normal saline in the initial resuscitation of trauma patients. Yeah, and it's a very, very reasonable hypothesis to have. It makes sense, but I don't want to spill the results right up front because often what makes sense isn't actually what we find. So what's the clinical question we're asking on today's episode? The question is, in the resuscitation of pre-hospital trauma patients with hemorrhagic shock, is there a patient-orientated benefit to using blood and plasma as in contrast to 0.9% saline? And what reference do we have? So the lead author is Crombie et al., and the title of the trial is Resuscitation with Blood Products in Patients with Traumatic-Related Hemorrhagic Shock Receiving Pre-Hospital Care with the lovely acronym REFILL, a multi-center, open-label, randomized, controlled, phase-free trial, and this was published in The Lancet Earlier Hematology in early 2022. All right, let's run through the PCOT. What was the population? So these were adult patients aged 16 years or older who'd suffered a traumatic injury resulting in shock, believed to be due to that traumatic hemorrhage. Shock was defined as a systolic blood pressure of less than 90 or an absent radial pulse. And they excluded patients known to refuse blood products, those who received transfusions of pre-hospital blood products before assessment for eligibility, pregnancy, either known or apparent, isolated head injuries without evidence of major hemorrhage, and prisoners. What was the intervention? So the intervention was up to four units of blood products, which were given as boluses one unit at a time. The units were alternating between units of O-negative packed red cells or this reconstituted lyophilized plasma with a maximum of two units of either fluid. And what did they compare it to? Yeah, so the comparison group were allowed to receive up to four 250ml boluses of normal saline. All right, let's run through the outcomes. What was their primary outcome? Yeah, so this was a composite primary outcome of mortality from the time of injury through to hospital discharge or the failure to clear the lactate by at least 20% within the first two hours after randomization. And then they had a number of secondary outcomes, which included the individual components of the composite primary outcome, fluid volumes, measures of coagulopathy, 30-day mortality, and common side effects of transfusions such as reactions, 
and Adult Respiratory Distress Syndrome, or ARDS. And finally, of the PCOT, what was the trial design? Yeah, so this was a multi-center, open-labeled, concealed, single-blinded, randomized controlled trial. That's quite a mouthful. It is. All right, so the author's conclusions were, quote, this trial did not show that pre-hospital packed red blood cells lysoplas resuscitation was superior to 0.9% sodium chloride for adult patients with trauma-related hemorrhagic shock. Further research is required to identify the characteristics of patients who might benefit from pre-hospital transfusion and to identify the optimal outcomes for transfusion trials in major trauma. The decision to commit to routine pre-hospital transfusion will require careful consideration by all stakeholders, end of quote. All right, Casey, let's run through the quality checklist for RCTs. The first question, the study population, did it include or focus on those in the emergency department? Well, no, Ken, these are pre-hospital patients. However, they were all going to be transported to an emergency department. And the patients, were they adequately randomized? Yes, Ken, there was a robust block randomization design. And was that randomization process concealed? Yes, it was. And did they do an intention-to-treat analysis? In other words, analyze the patients into the groups which they were originally randomized? Yes, the primary analysis was by intention-to-treat in this trial. And the patients were recruited consecutively? It's unsure about this. It's not clear from reading the paper, and block randomization may conceal excluded patients. It should be noted that the recruitment in this trial was actually unfortunately ceased before they reached their target sample size as a result of the COVID pandemic. The patients in both groups, were they similar with regards to prognostic factors? Yeah, Ken, the groups were very similar in terms of their demographics, severity, and the mechanisms of their trauma. And how was the blinding? Was everyone involved, the patients, clinicians, and outcome assessors, were they all unaware of group allocation? Well, no, Ken, this is a single blind trial. The patients and the outcome assessors were not aware of the group allocations. However, the clinicians were unblinded once they opened up the boxes and gave either the normal saline or the blood products. And the reason for this is that the lyophilized plasma required reconstitution at the scene And so the contents of the boxes were concealed right up until the point when they were actually opened to treat the patient at the scene. Do you think all groups were treated equally except for the intervention? Yes, the treatments were very similar. However, it should be noted that both groups received nearly half a litre of crystalloid fluid prior to being randomised. So the saline control group really got almost a litre of normal saline, whereas the intervention group got both saline and then the blood products. So the overall volumes were the same. So that only really is a problem if the dose of saline counts, and then there may be a difference between the groups. And how was the follow-up? Was it complete? Yeah. The team managed to follow up and analyze 95% of those recruited, which I think is really amazing for a real-world pre-hospital trial. Do you think all patient-important outcomes were considered? Now, this is unsure, Ken. It's a bit tricky as we have the combination of mortality with a lactate clearance. 
Now, most of the secondary outcomes were lab-based, not the sort of things that patients really care about, but we can chat a bit more about that in the Talk Nerdy section, Ken. Oh, I love talking nerdy. All right, the treatment effect. Was it large enough and precise enough to be clinically significant? No, Ken, this was a negative trial, so there was no real observed effect of the intervention. And the twelfth and final question, was it lacking in financial conflicts of interest? Yes, there are no conflicts of interest declared, and this was a publicly funded NHS research project. All right, let's go through the results. The trial randomized 432 participants. The median age was 38 years. The vast majority, 82%, were male. And almost two-thirds of the patients had blunt force trauma from a motor vehicle collision. What was the key result, Casey? Blood products were not superior to Ceylon for the primary outcome. Oh, and let's remind people what that primary outcome was. This is the composite outcome of combining mortality from time of injury to hospital discharge or the failure to clear lactate by 20% within the first two hours after randomization. You got some actual numbers for me? Yep, so 64% of patients in the blood product group and 65% of patients in the saline group managed to get the primary outcome. The adjusted risk difference was minus 0.025% and the 95% confidence interval spanned the line of no difference. The adjusted risk ratio was 1.01 with, once again, a confidence interval crossing the magic number one. So this was pretty much right down the line of no difference. All right. And they did have a number of secondary outcomes. And I think people would be interested in pulling that mortality statistic out. So what did they find for mortality? So these were sick patients, Ken. 43% of the patients in the blood products group unfortunately passed away, and 45% in the saline group. And when they did an adjusted risk ratio, it was 0.97, and that was not statistically different between the two groups. And that other part of that composite outcome was the failure to clear lactate. What did they find? Yeah, so 50% or half in the blood products group and 55% in the saline group. And again, this wasn't statistically significant, and none of the other secondary outcomes reported were statistically different. And it's important to say that there were no adverse events, and they were very similar between both groups. So it doesn't look like this new product caused any harm on these small numbers. All right, we've been waiting for it. It's time to talk a little nerdy. And we've got five points to go through. And as the guest, I'm going to give you the opportunity to go first. All right, Ken. I'm going to start by talking about mixing our poos with our loos. So the question is, is it appropriate to put a lab-orientated outcome, such as lactate clearance, together with a patient-orientated outcome in the same primary composite endpoint? This trial used a composite endpoint that included the big poo, which is mortality, along with the lab-orientated outcome, lactate clearance. Now, from previous research, we know that lactate clearance may or may not be a surrogate marker for mortality. Now, usually when you're designing a trial with softer lab-oriented outcomes, you would do this if you're trying to detect a subtle difference in a population where it's hard to find 
you know, things like mortality or patient-oriented outcomes if they're very rare. However, in this trial, nearly half of the patients in both groups did actually die. So mortality is very objective and it's very important to patients and their families. As such, to my opinion, it would seem to be better to stick with a single large primary outcome such as patient mortality rather than mess it up with something like a lactate clearance as well. After all, Ken, there can be only one primary outcome. Exactly. The second nerdy point we wanted to discuss was dose. The refill trial participants received less than a liter of fluid in total prior to arriving in hospital. That could either be all saline in the control group or a mixture of saline and blood products in the intervention group. The fact that this was a, quote, negative trial may mean that there truly is no difference between saline and blood products in the pre-hospital resuscitation, or it could mean that at this dose, there is no detectable potential benefit or potential harm observable. For example, if we only gave 10 milligrams of aspirin or ASA to patients with an ST-elevated myocardial infarction and observe no mortality benefit, but also no GI bleeds, we could conclude that you know aspirin has really no effect. However, we do have high quality data showing that there is a benefit of giving a larger dose of aspirin, 162.5 milligrams to be exact, to STEMI patients with a small increase in harm. So is the refill trial really telling us that there is no benefit or that the doses are not adequate to give us the effect that we can observe. This is why it's good to be cautious and not overinterpret or underinterpret data. I think the most accurate conclusion is that the intervention provided in this cohort of trauma patients with shock did not demonstrate superiority over the control group. Now, this is different than concluding that blood products do not work for trauma patients in the pre-hospital setting. That would be a claim on its own. And these distinctions are important when discussing the literature. That's good, Ken. Nerdy point number three was about external validity. Now, this trial used a team of pre-hospital physicians and critical care paramedics in the UK. The team were traveling by either helicopter or land-based rapid response vehicles, and they had this blood product that is relatively new and hard to come by, which is called lyophilized plasma. Now, if refill had been a positive trial and showed a clear mortality benefit, then we would be stuck with the issue of external validity, especially in rural areas like Canada and Australia, which are much larger countries geographically. We do not have the systems or the access to this product out there and it would be very difficult to bring a physician-led plasma-wielding team to the roadside in most parts of the world. Now, as you know, Ken, we rural clinicians know a lot about the tyranny of distance. So my feeling is that the goal should be to get the best medical care to our rural patients wherever they happen to be, and this could be really logistically tough at times. This new product called Lyophilized Plasma does have the benefit in that it has a long shelf life and it can be carried around in a, in a hot car or an aeroplane, so that's that's great. However, I think knowing this stuff is really important because my belief is that it should be the logistics and not our knowledge as rural docs that should limit 
with patients' access to great care. And the fourth nerdy point was too good to be true? The original power calculation for refill was based on a consensus that a 10% absolute difference in the primary outcome. This is a large difference for a complex disease like trauma using a simple intervention. However, the previous PAMPER trial did show an amazingly high 9.8 mortality reduction. The refill trial was unfortunately interrupted by the COVID-19 pandemic, as you mentioned earlier, and they stopped the trial after only 432 patients were randomized. I think it's unlikely that if refill had enrolled the 68 more patients to reach that target total of 500, that it would have shown a 10% absolute reduction in their primary outcome. And we know that science is usually iterative and moves in baby steps. And in diseases like, you know, sepsis or trauma, where there are complex interventions and systems involved, it really is unlikely that any single intervention will have such a large impact on mortality. This suggests that PAMPER trial is probably an outlier, and we should remain skeptical as these results do seem too good to be true. And trials with results that seem too good to be true usually set off my skeptical radar. Woot, 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 and are rarely reproduced on subsequent studies. We think that refill is such a case. It could be viewed as a partial repeat of the PAMPER trial and is more consistent with the combat trial results, demonstrating no superiority. Now, nerdy point number five, Ken, is what we call the Goldilocks zone of mortality. And this is really important when you're looking at trauma trials particularly. When you look at mortality data, there are three possible populations that you could be studying. If you were looking at one, a group of mild traumatic injuries, patients that are not too sick, and you know that 100% of them are going to survive no matter what you do, this is why we don't put ankle sprains into trials like refill. There's no way that you will show a difference in mortality. And then if you look at really severe traumatic injuries, so super sick patients, they're going to pretty much all die no matter what we do. So for example, if you did this trial but only included patients with hypotension due to stab to the heart injuries, you would find it very difficult to, provo- to find any difference between the two groups or to find any intervention that helped them. The third group is the Goldilocks zone. These are the patients that are not too sick. They are sick enough to find a difference, but will get a clinically meaningful benefit from some sort of intervention, such as plasma products or blood. The patients in the refill trial, they seem to be right in this Goldilocks zone. They had a relatively high mortality for sure, but they did have salvageable injuries and they could be treated if they got to definitive care within time. So I think this trial does fall into that Goldilocks zone. Well, those are the five nerdy points we wanted to talk about. Now it's time to comment on the author's conclusions and compare them to the SGEM's conclusions. Yeah, Ken, so we generally agree with the author's conclusion. This trial does not demonstrate any benefit to the use of small volumes of pre-hospital blood products over the use of normal saline. So Casey, what's the SGEM bottom line? 
The results of the refuel trial do not justify the expense and the logistical difficulties associated with the use of lyophilized plasma and red cells in the pre-hospital ambulance services for adult trauma patients. And can you resolve the case you presented at the beginning with Romeo getting stabbed? I will advise the pre-hospital team to use whichever fluid they have and whatever they feel is necessary to resuscitate the patient whilst expediting transfer to the emergency department. We're going to put out a trauma call, activate our lab, our surgical teams and radiology in order to provide the absolutely best care we can for this very sick patient. And so you've got the PAMPER trial, you've got the combat trial, now we have the refill trial. How are you going to take this new trial and apply it clinically? Yeah, so Ken, I think that the choice of pre-hospital fluids remains an open question. We simply do not know if there is any real benefit to the early infusion of blood products in the field. There are certainly some patients who will benefit from the use of blood products, although at this time, it seems we can limit the use of blood products to the ED and the hospital phase of care. Further research is needed to define the group of patients where the benefit of earlier blood in the pre-hospital environment may actually be beneficial. Having said that, trauma is a team sport and having a seamless system of care between the pre-hospital providers, the ED, and our colleagues in the operating room is really crucial. Oh, my friend, Dr. Brian Goldman would love that last sentence talking about the importance of teamwork. Okay, so what are you going to tell the patient? Well, if he's still alert and awake, I'll tell him that you've been stabbed and you've lost a lot of blood. We're going to start some intravenous fluids and get you to hospital as quick as possible. They will be standing by with the team to help you as soon as you arrive in the emergency department. All right, it's time to announce the Keener Contest winner. Last week's winner was Tanner Smitta, an MD-PhD student from West Virginia University. He knew that Dr. Thomas Latta is the name of the physician who is credited with the introduction of the saline solution or saline drip methodology into the treatment of patients. Casey, what's the Keener question this week? Okay, Ken, the question this week is, what is the name of the character in the musical West Side Story who is fatally stabbed by Bernardo? Oh, yes. We're trying to relate this back to the whole Romeo and Juliet thing. So if you know the name of the character in West Side Story who is fatally stabbed by Bernardo, then send an email to thesgem at gmail.com with Keener in the subject line. The first correct answer will receive a cool skeptical prize. Now, there are a number of other FOMED resources that have discussed the refill trial, and I'll put a list in the show notes. Thank you, Casey, for coming back on the SGEM. Next time, do you want to do an ultrasound paper since you're now a fully-fledged sonologist? Well, that sounds awesome, Ken. I'm always happy to talk <laughs> nerdy, especially when it comes to talking about the dark arts of ultrasound. Well, until that happens, can you give the SGEM tagline? It's a pleasure. Remember, folks, be skeptical of anything that you learn, even if you heard it on the Skeptic's Guide to Emergency Medicine. Talk to everyone next time. Mm-hmm.